listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Amen. But uh, let's pray first. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for your grace to us. Lord, we thank you that you are a loving Father uh, and that you come to us and that you invite us into your family to be your children uh, alongside uh, your eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that great and precious privilege. And we ask now that as we think about what it means for us to imitate you in being wise parents uh, and imitating Jesus in what it means to be wise children, Lord, that you would teach us and instruct us, uh, that you would humble us, that you would encourage and comfort us and show us your grace and mercy. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. We've been working through uh, the book of Proverbs uh, lately. We've been thinking about what it means to be wise rather than what it means to be foolish. Uh, And today we're thinking about what it means to be a wise child and a wise parent. It was completely coincidental that today happens to be Mother's Day. I had no idea until I turned up today that it was Mother's Day. So there you go. Thanks, Jacob. Saved me some embarrassment. But um, it doesn't come up on my calendar. I don't know what it is. But anyway, there you go. Uh, But we're thinking today about what it means to be a wise parent, uh, but also what it means to be wise children... And that's tough, I think, because uh, parents and children have one of the most uh, fraught relationships, I think, in in some ways, that there is. Uh, There there can be the distant father, uh, or the overbearing mother, or the reckless son, or the daughter uh, who who digs her heels in. And whatever it is, and and whoever is doing what part in whatever relationship... uh, the relationships between parents and children can be hard. Uh, And there's often lots of emotion that's bound up with that. Uh, The feeling that you failed or are failing as a parent, uh, that can be utterly overwhelming. Uh, And that seems to be a failing, uh, uh, sorry, a feeling that affects uh, many parents from one time uh, uh, to another. Uh, so too the feeling that you have failed as a child can be overwhelming. Uh, the feeling that you've let your parents down, that you haven't uh, lived up to what uh, they wanted you to be, or whatever it might be. Uh, and it needs to be said, I think, that the purpose of today is not to drag all those emotions up just for the fun of it, uh, so that we can all sort of have you know, enormous regret about how we've lived or what we've failed to do or, or what not. But the point is to think about what it means to be wise parents and what it means to be wise sons or daughters so that we can grow together in being wise in the relationships in which God has put us. And the point is also so that we can know where it is that we need to seek the loving forgiveness and the mercy of God for the ways that we've acted in those relationships. Uh, This might be painful. There might be things that you think to yourself, actually, I haven't done as well 
as I, as I ought to have. I've, I've let others down, whether I've let my parents down or I've let my children down. There might be places where you feel like that. But the good news of the gospel is that we don't need to hide that. We don't need to pretend that that's not true, but that we can acknowledge that to God. We can ask for his forgiveness. We can acknowledge that to, to others, to our parents or our children. We can say, I've failed. I've made, it, I've made mistakes here. And the good news of the gospel is that we can find mercy for that uh, in the grace of our loving Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we go through today, you might find yourself thinking, actually, there are things that I need to confess to God or to others. Uh, And I would encourage you to do that so that we can grow together in being wise, being wise as parents and being wise uh, as sons and daughters So what can Proverbs teach us then about parents and children? Well, the first thing that Proverbs tells us about, surprisingly maybe, uh, is the pain and the sadness that comes from a foolish child. So Proverbs 17 verse 1, the first verse on that sheet there, to have a fool for a child brings grief. There is no joy for the parent of a godless fool. Or 17 verse 25, a foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the mother who bore him. Or 19 verse 26, whoever robs their father and drives out their mother is a child who brings shame and disgrace. Those proverbs probably don't need any explanation to those who are parents. Uh, If your children uh, go off the rails or make big mistakes or if they abandon the gospel, you can suffer the consequences of that as much as they do. Proverbs highlights three consequences. First, there's grief. So you grieve over what your child is doing to themselves uh, or or has done to themselves. Because you love them and you don't want them to see them go through that. So you grieve. Second, there's shame. That is, the actions of your children, whether rightly or wrongly, reflect on you. Uh, And you feel maybe that people are looking at you uh, or people are judging you on account of that. And you feel the shame of that. You feel the sorrow of that. Third, Proverbs says there's bitterness. Um, That is, I think, if that's any different to the last two, if that's different from grief and shame, it may refer to the the difficulty of, of life circumstances that comes through a foolish child. So... Uh, when a child has made mistakes, to help them through that or to help them recover from that brings hardship and bitterness to your life. It brings toil uh, and hardship. So a foolish child brings grief and shame and bitterness. On the flip side, of course, wise children bring delight and joy. So Proverbs 23 verse 24 says, the father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. Or Proverbs 10 verse 1 gives both sides. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. 
it's not, a, it's not as though he doesn't bring grief to the father as well, but it's just, a, it's just by way of contrast. So a son or daughter uh, who gives their life to God, uh, who entrusts themselves to Jesus, a child in whom you see the Spirit of God working, a child who's wise, who, who works hard, who speaks kindly to people, who shows generosity, who treats others uh, well, that, that, that child is a delight. There's so much joy in that, to look at them and to delight in the person that they are. A child who succeeds in their studies or in their sport or in their career or who applies themselves is a source of pride and honour to their parents. You can see parents beaming on, on graduation day or whatever it is or, or, or at the little athletics when, when their kid wins the race. They, they, they love it. They, they're excited. They're joyful. They delight. And rightly so. It's one of God's gifts. Of course, the truth is, I think, that no child, which actually means none of us, no child is 100% wise or 100% foolish. And so most often, it will be a combination of both. There will be moments of delight and joy when we look at our children and we see what they've accomplished and we rejoice in that. And there will be moments of grief and sadness and bitterness. And most of us, whether we're parents or children, will probably be able to identify with that. Whether we felt that or whether we know that we've caused that to our own parents. But why does God want to tell us about the shame of a foolish child and the joy of a wise child? Why does Proverbs tell us maybe what we already know is true from experience? Why drag it up? How does that help us? Well, the reason that God does it is to motivate us, both as children and as parents, to be wise. As we'll see in the next two points, Like so often in life, there's a dual responsibility. It's a child's responsibility to be wise and to listen. And it's a parent's responsibility to be a wise parent. And when either of those things break down, we end up with foolish children. It could just be that one of them breaks down. It might be a foolish parent. It might be a foolish child. It might be both together. But when either of those things break down, we end up with foolish children and the result is shame and grief rather than honour and joy. So if a child refuses to listen and to be taught, they'll bring shame on themselves and they'll bring shame on their parents. If a parent is foolish in the way that they teach and train their children, it will bring shame on their child and on them. The point of highlighting the consequences of foolishness as either a parent or as a child, is to motivate us to be wise. So as parents, it motivates us to do the best that we can to to be wise parents. It encourages us to ask, how can I be wise today in the way that I deal with my children? How can I be wise today in the way that I deal with my children? Or as children, it encourages us to ask, how can I be wise today so that I bring honour and joy to my parents in the way that I live. 
So Proverbs wants to tell us the consequences of foolishness in our parent-child relationships in order that we might be motivated to be wise. So how, can the, how then can we be wise children uh, or wise parents? Well, to start with uh, children then, uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about being a wise child and how to be a wise child. In fact, in many ways, Proverbs is largely a book framed as instructions from a parent to their child. So we find all through Proverbs these calls for children to listen uh, to their parents. So Proverbs begins with that very idea. Verse 8 of chapter 1, you'll find on the sheet there. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. It's an extraordinary thing to say. What are your parents' words like? Parents will love this. They're like a garland on your head. They're like a crown. They're like a victor's crown that you get when you win a race. Or like a chain around your neck, like like a gold medal. For winning a race or a precious, a precious jewel. That's what your parents' words are like. They clothe you in honour and respect and dignity. That idea was there as well in chapter 4. Wisdom, it says there, will present you with a glorious crown. Uh, how does that wisdom come about? Well, if you look back at chapter 4, verse 4, uh, it says... Then he taught me, that is, my father, then he taught me and said said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. In other words, wisdom comes through taking hold of your parents' words, storing them up in your heart, keeping their commands, not forgetting what they've told you and not turning away from them. Or listen to Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. What should you do with your parents' words? You should bind them on your heart. That is, you should keep them there. You should store them up in your heart, bring them to to mind. Take them in, respect them, follow them. You should fasten them around your neck. That is just like you might put your house keys on a chain and put them around your neck so that you don't lose them or leave them behind or leave them on the bus or something like that. Proverbs says you should do that with your parents' words. If you're a child the most important thing that you can do is listen to your parents, to pay attention to what they say. Store it up in your heart. You might even like to write it down. Write it down in a journal. And put their advice into practice. So often as children, our first response is not to listen, but to talk. Our parents tell us what they think that we should do, and we say, I've got a better idea. We want to share our thoughts on what we think about the issue. But Proverbs urges us, God urges us as children, as sons and daughters, 
to listen and to learn and to recognise that maybe, just maybe, our parents who have lived for 20 or 30 years longer than we have might have more wisdom about how to understand the world than we do. Imagine if the next time your parents said something to you, instead of just kind of ignoring it and putting it in the trash can of your mind, imagine if you said to yourself, listening to what my parents have just told me will bring me honour and dignity and will bring them honour and dignity. And actually all of us can think like that because all of us are sons or daughters of someone and even if you're no longer a child by law you know you're over 18 or even if you're over 50 or 60 or whatever it is we still do well to listen to the wisdom of our parents of course there are times when our parents are not wise And sadly, some people have parents who are never wise or desperately unwise. But Proverbs, like so often, is speaking about what's generally true. That is, generally, our parents and others who are older than us have great wisdom about the world, greater wisdom than we do, and we do well to listen to that and to take heed of it. God says to us, if... You can learn from the wisdom of your parents, then you will flourish. And they will flourish as well. So as children, we need to listen. But what about as parents? What do we do as parents? How can we be wise parents? Well, Proverbs' answer to that question is that we should train and discipline our children. So Proverbs 22, verse 6, on the sheet again. uh, Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. So that's not a proverb, uh, so that is a proverb, it's not a promise, uh, but it's an observation of a general trend, right? So it's not saying if you do this, you know, it will lock in what your child will be like in the future, but it's saying if you train them, it's likely to form their future. If you train them well, it will form their future well. If you train them poorly, it will, train, it will shape their future poorly, actually, as well. Uh, if you train them well, it will guard their way. It won't guarantee that they're perfect. Uh, it won't guarantee that they will continue to follow on that path that you have set them on. It won't guarantee that they won't make any mistakes or that they won't go off the rails. But it will be formative for them. And it's the best thing that you can do to provide for their future. What does that training look like? Well, if the task of a wise child is to listen to their parents' wisdom, then the best thing that a parent can do is to be wise and to seek to communicate that wisdom to their children, to train their children in wisdom. So, as a parent, your most important task is not simply to tell your children what to do, but to train them to be wise. So in other words, it's not just about saying, that's wrong, stop it, though that's not, that's not unhelpful to say that at times. Uh, nor, nor is your task simply to say, that is a good thing to do, you should do that instead, though that's also a good thing to say at times. 
Rather, the task is to teach them to think rightly about the world, to impart to them not just rules or this or that, but to impart wisdom, to teach them to think about the world in the light of God's wisdom. Uh, you aren't, obviously aren't going to do that so much when they're really young. You know, you're not going to reason with a two-year-old child about why they shouldn't mortgage their house in order to cover their neighbours' neighbor's debts, you know. It's not, you're not going to kind of start at two years old with that kind of thing. Although I did see in the bookshop yesterday, I did see a book, um, Quantum Physics for, for, for Babies. It's great. There's a whole series, Inorganic Chemistry for Babies. So I guess it's never too young. Never too young to start. I was, I was stumped on quantum information, but um, that book was too hard for me. But clearly we want, we want to impart uh, wisdom to our children uh, and, and we want to be mindful about what it is, how old they are and sort of what they can uh, cope with, I guess. And even as they get older, uh, not every mistake has to become the basis of a sort of a half-hour theological lecture. Uh, you know, everything that they do, all right, let's sit down and think about wisdom. You know, that would, get good, that would become quite exasperating, I expect, and quite tiresome. But there will be times where it will be important to sit down when an issue has arisen, or maybe even when it hasn't, and to talk things over, and to help them to think about the world, to say, uh, in the light of God's wisdom, to say, well, God says in the Bible that you know, promising something to someone and then not giving it to them is like rain, sorry, like clouds that never brings rain. You know, it's, it's a real letdown if you're waiting for the rain to come and to water the crops so that you can eat and so that you can live and then the clouds come and the rain doesn't come. It's an enormous letdown. What do you think that says about life? What do you think God is trying to say? What do you think that means about the fact that you promised your little brother that he could have a turn of that toy afterwards and now you don't, let him, you don't want to let him? What does that mean? It's a huge disappointment, isn't it? To make promises and not, then not deliver on them. Our job is not just to tell them, no, that's wrong, but to train them in wisdom, to think how God thinks as he's revealed to us uh, in the Bible. But training is not just uh, hugs and kisses. Training involves discipline too. So Proverbs 19, verse 18, again, you'll find it there. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Or Proverbs 29, verse 17, discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. But that discipline uh, often involves physical discipline. So Proverbs 13 verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Oh, Proverbs 23 verse 13, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Or chapter 20 verse 30, Blows and wounds scrub away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. What are we to make of that? It needs to be said, I think, and acknowledged, uh, first of all, that there may be some people here, or there may be people here who have friends and, and acquaintances who have been physically abused as children by their parents, 
whether that's by beating or whether that's by cruel deprivation. And that's not okay. That is not okay. Uh, Discipline is not brutality. uh, And the Bible never condones that kind of thuggery. And if you fly off the handle and beat your children, then you need to stop that. And you need to confess that to God and ask for his forgiveness. You need to confess that to your children and ask for their forgiveness. And you need to find some kind of mechanism of accountability so that you'll never do that again. But abuse is not the same as reasonable discipline. At one level, I think we understand that. We understand the idea that training involves discipline and sometimes it involves physical discipline and sometimes it involves physical pain. So if you train in a footy team or a soccer team or something like that, you accept that the coach sometimes is going to say, you did that wrong. And the way that the coach trains you not to do that wrong thing again is sometimes by making you do really painful drills. And I don't just mean annoying but physically painful drills. If you play a lazy game of soccer or footy, you can expect to turn up to training the next week and to just spend the whole night running, long-distance running, sprints, endless sprints. Why? To train you, to shape you, to form you. In the same way, we understand uh, that if you tell your child not to run in the kitchen and they do run in the kitchen and the floor is slippery and they fall over and they split their head open because they were running in the kitchen when they shouldn't have been, it's less likely that they'll run in the kitchen again. Right? But the thing is that a smack physical discipline can achieve the same end but without them having to fall over and split their head open on the kitchen floor in the first place. In other words, the perspective of the Bible and the perspective of God and the perspective of Proverbs is that sometimes you need physical discipline to train children because the alternative actually is far worse. Better a smack than to have to go to hospital with a gash in the side of your head. Better to smack a kid who's just run across the road without looking then for the child to run across the road again the next time without looking and to be killed by a car. That's what Proverbs means when it says discipline can save a child. That Proverbs said, look what it said, it said, um, if you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Clearly in Proverbs, people the day of Proverbs, people, people thought the physical dis- discipline, you know, you can't do that. It's too severe. Proverbs says they're not going to die if you smack them. What you'll do is you'll save them from death. Sometimes you need physical discipline because the alternative is far worse. It's better to train a child even through the unpleasant experience of physical discipline than it is to hold that back for fear that you'll hurt them and then them ending up being hurt in far worse ways. So physical discipline is important, but there's a number of things I think that Proverbs says that helps us to, that qualifies that 
so that it doesn't turn into uh, abuse. First, Proverbs 13 says that to not discipline a child is to hate them. So to not discipline a child is to hate the child. The flip side is that loving a child means that you do discipline them. So discipline is an act of love, not an act of anger. If you're angry, then send at what your child has done, then send them to their room for half an hour to calm down and so that you can think wisely about what to do rather than reacting on the spur of the moment uh, and lashing out. Don't react. Be wise and be loving. Second, there's a limit to what physical discipline can do. Proverbs 17 verse 10 says, A rebuke impresses a discerning person more than a hundred lashes a fool. Right? So what works in that Proverbs is not physical force. You can, you can lash a fool a hundred times and they still won't learn. But actually a wise child you can, or a wise person, you can rebuke them. You don't even need to, to use force. You can say words and, and that can be more effective. There's a limit to what physical discipline can do. If you don't realise that physical discipline has a limit, then you'll end up beating a child until they get the message. Rather than smacking them once or twice to train them and instruct them. Third and most importantly, the purpose of physical discipline is not primarily to punish, but to impart and train children and wisdom so proverbs 29 verse 15 says a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother mother or 22 verse 15 folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline will drive it far away so it's important i think that we grasp that the purpose of discipline is chiefly to instill wisdom Once physical discipline ceases to be about training your child to be wise and becomes primarily about punishing them or expressing your anger towards them, then you've turned into a brute rather than a wise parent because the purpose of physical discipline is to impart wisdom. And it means then, too, that physical discipline should always be accompanied by wise words. It should be accompanied by sitting down together and talking things through. So you might smack them for what they've done, your child for what they've done, and then you might say to them, do you understand why I had to smack you? Do you understand what the purpose behind that was? Or you might sit down with them after what they've done and talk through what they've done, and then at the end of that say, I don't really want to have to do this, this doesn't bring me any great joy, but I'm going to have to smack you now because of what you've done and so that you won't do that again. The purpose of physical discipline is to impart wisdom, not to punish. Proverbs 3 helps us too in showing us that what we are to do as wise parents is exactly the same as what God does as well. So Proverbs tells us that it's not just our practice to discipline, but God's practice to discipline as well. Proverbs 3 says, verse 11, uh, on the back of that sheet, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves 
as a father the son he delights in. God disciplines us, he brings hardship upon us and suffering upon us in order to train us in righteousness. He does it not because he hates us, he does it, the proverb says, because he loves us, because he is the ultimate loving heavenly father, the ultimate wise parent. And if we are to be wise children of God, then we ought to listen to what he's teaching us and store up his words in our heart and bind his words around our neck and keep them always with us and treasure them and do them. Whether parents or children, uh, we don't always get it right. We often make mistakes and we cannot expect to go through life without making a mistake either in being a child or in being a parent. But the good news of the Bible is that the parent-child relationship that matters the most is not our relationship with our children or our relationship with our parents. And the most important parent-child relationship in the world is not even our relationship with God the Father. The most important parent-child relationship in the world is the Father's relationship with Jesus, the Eternal Son. Because that relationship is perfect, unlike any other relationship. And out of that perfect relationship has come the opportunity for us to be adopted into that family of God. The perfect Father sent the perfect Son so that through his death and resurrection, we might be called children of God if we put our faith in Jesus. And if you've done that, if you've entrusted yourself to Jesus, then you are a child of God. And it's out of that perfect relationship with God and with Jesus that comes for hope for every other relationship as well. Out of that perfect relationship with God and with his eternal son Jesus, there's hope for forgiveness and mercy and grace, even where we've mucked up our relationships as parents or as children. There's hope for forgiveness and grace and restoration and reconciliation. But out of that perfect relationship as well, there's hope because out of that relationship between the Father and the Son, out of that relationship, the the perfection of that relationship spills over through the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives and reshapes and reforms our relationships to be like the Father's relationship with his perfect Son. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the eternal Father loving God and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ your eternal son and we thank you that your relationship with each other and with the Holy Spirit is perfect has always been perfect and will always be perfect as well and Lord we thank you for that because we know that in our relationships whether as sons or daughters or mothers or fathers Lord, we know that we are imperfect. Lord, 
We don't need to look far to find the times when we failed our children or failed our parents. And Lord, those things can weigh heavily on us. Lord, we feel the pain of them. We feel that there are mistakes that we've made that we cannot undo, uh, that we wish we could. Or Lord, we look at others and we're conscious perhaps that, we, that they've chosen their own path and we can't move them from it. And that grieves us also. And so, Lord, we pray that the hope of the gospel would quiet our hearts, that where we've failed and made mistakes, sinned against you and rebelled against you and hurt others, Lord, we pray for forgiveness and grace. And, Lord, we pray that out of that perfect relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ, that out of that will come the power through the Holy Spirit to reshape our relationships into something better than they have been. That we might be wise parents and wise children. And Lord, we also want to thank you too, because not everything is bad, not everything has gone as badly as it could have. There have been times when you've strengthened us and given us what we need. There are times we look at our children or and we're so grateful for what you've done, for the people that you've made them to be. Lord, we look at our parents also and we thank you for the wisdom that they've shown in training us and disciplining us, even though at the time perhaps we weren't grateful. But Lord, we look back now and we thank you so much for their wisdom and their godliness and their grace. Lord, help us to be thankful. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.